Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we'll begin at verse number 18. Amen. Um, I, uh, I, I have a, uh, a ridiculous amount of notes this morning, and, and um, as I was kind of sitting in my office, I, I was you know, just thinking about and praying about, and, and I'm like, Lord, you, you know, just, there's so many different directions we could go, but um, he's going to show us. Amen? Um, I, I'll, I'll just tell you where my heart is this morning as far as what I believe the Lord would, would have us to really come to terms with today, and that's, that's what it means to be a true worshiper, and, and are, are you one? Am I one? Are we true worshipers? To get a little ahead of myself, Jesus made it clear that Father is looking on this earth for true worshipers. And if you study your Bible, you see throughout Scripture that, you know, Father has from time to time in certain places and, and situations, we see where he has sought for a man among them. He's, he's, he's looked for, like for instance, when he, the Bible says he found David, who was a man after his own heart. He found Abraham. Uh, he was a, David, a man after his heart, who would do all of my will, the Bible says. And then he found uh, Abraham. And, and we see that what he found in Abraham, among other things, was someone who would teach his children the things that God was teaching him. We see in Scripture where, um, where God is looking to and fro across the earth for an intercessor. And even marveled that he looked so diligently for one and could not find one. And so this is when he spoke through his prophet and he said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do then. I'll provide myself an intercessor and speaking prophetically of Jesus. An intercessor, one who will, maybe it would make more sense to you this way, one who would stand in the gap between God and men and help bridge that gap and help people find their creator father and, and, and know his wisdom their lives and today today right now the scriptures are clear that father is looking on this earth for men and women who will be true worshipers and if you study the um the lives of men and women who were uh, the answer to god's search um, we see that life worked out really well for them. In other words, if, 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 if you will become what Father God is looking for, if you'll say, uh, you know, uh, here am I, send me, I, 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 will, I will be that. If you're looking for a true worshiper, then find one right here. Um, but here, here's the thing. There's a lot of folks that are familiar with that terminology, that phraseology, you know, a true worshiper, but a lot of ideas about what that means. Um, if we're going to if we're going to be one, what's that? It takes one to know one. Well, it, it, it you got to know what one is to be one. And um, and of course there is uh, effort and and cooperation, complicity, that's required on our part to be that true worshiper. Amen. So I want to stir you up about that for a few minutes, and and um, we're going to begin. There's a few things I left this part out of today's notes, and I just felt prompted to bring it back in because. Obviously, we celebrated Easter last Sunday, and, and, um, but the Sunday before that, uh, we left some things hanging, so to speak, that I want to come back and, and, uh, and, and clean up, so to speak, and finish uh, 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 as it relates to this uh, subject. All right, so Romans chapter 1, 
in verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. If you recall, let me just comment here and then we'll move to the next verses. The wrath of God here is not the thumos of God. This is not the, the anger of God like we often think of the wrath of God. Um, this is a different word, translated wrath, but in my humble opinion would be more accurately translated um, his disappointment. Because this word literally means desire accompanied with grief. So it's like when you have really high hopes for someone or some situation and it, and it doesn't pan out, so to speak. It doesn't turn out the way you had hoped that it would. And so we see that Father's wrath, his, his disappointment is, remember I tried to simplify it by saying he created us to live way up here, but instead we're living way down here. And he's also in the process uh, of, of these verses explaining to us how we went from life on the level he created us to live to a much lower, inferior, less than level. We also talked about this conspiracy, not a theory, but a legitimate conspiracy that's ongoing here on planet Earth to put a shroud, to put a cover, to conceal what has always been clear and obvious, and that is God's eternal power and His uh, existence in the things that He has made. And we covered some of that about the, the, the size of the universe and yet the, the Swiss watch accuracy by which it functions and, you know, the 67,000 mile per hour dirt clod that we're all riding around a star 93 million miles away this morning uh, with, again, precision that is uh, phenomenal. And so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a creation. I, I get started talking about that and it just, it's... It's hard to stop. We covered that thoroughly week before last, and if you weren't here for that, I would encourage you to, to go back into the archives and, and, and look at that. But he says also what may be known of God is manifest in them. Look, look in the mirror. Um, you are the most amazing creation. Even when we talk about the scope of, of our galaxy and, 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 and the scope of, of our solar system and and in the accuracy and the beauty and, and the wonder of all of that, n- n- nothing to be compared uh, to you as a, as a living being and the trillions of cells that all come together to form this living body, living cells, the, the, the accuracy, the complexity, the genius of it. So he says, what may be known of God is manifest in, in you, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So this may be a way oversimplification of this, but the world not only tells us there's a Creator because we've got a creation, but I believe His two favorite colors are blue and green. Because, you know, the one who created and had the idea for something called color, we take it for granted. We take, you know, purple chairs and white walls, and you know, we take it for granted somehow, you know, these things just... But color is, is a concept that originated in the heart of God, and when you look at the earth that he created, um, there's a whole lot of blue and green in it. So 
his eternal power and God has excuse because although they knew God. Now let's let's get to this this next part, verse twenty one. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, this is a this next statement is a strong statement. I want you to hear me out on it because this is not me trying to use uh, you know, some type of scare tactic or something like that to get you to worship God. If somebody's got to scare you into worshiping God, it won't be real worship and, it, and you won't be a true worshiper. But here, here is the reality. Refusing to worship God leads to dire, self-inflicted consequences. Refusing to worship God leads to dire, self-inflicted consequences. Now, the self-inflicted is important because, because God is not punishing people for refusing to worship Him. We are punishing ourselves for refusing to worship Him because there are things that we need to know and need to understand about ourselves and about how life is meant to be lived that we have no other source for than God. And if we refuse to acknowledge Him and respect Him and give Him and His truth and wisdom place in our lives, we don't stop living We stop living the life He created us to live, but we don't stop existing. Maybe I should say it that way. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We continue to exist, which leaves us to try and make our lives up as we go along. And that, my friend, is no way to your best life. So I want to talk to you for a moment about these futile thoughts. He says that refusing to glorify God, the the message translation says refusing to treat God the way He deserves to be treated. And I like that because it just it makes it real simple, this word glorify, glorify God. He's just saying that, that we became unthankful, we become ungrateful, we started taking credit for our own existence, for our, for our own uh, good fortune, and, and look at what I did. In, in, instead of recognizing that there's someone much greater and much smarter than us that created us. Now, let me also remind you that true worship is a proper response, and we'll, we'll get to this in a minute, but, but remember, worship is recognizing who God is, you know, responding to who God is properly uh, based upon and in respect to who you are in relationship to Him. So let, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself, let me try to stay focused here. I want, to, I want to focus for a minute then on verse 21, he says, because notice there's, there's it's like a domino effect, but in this case, he's reversing the dominoes because the world we live in and, and what he talks about in the verses that follow these, um, it's, it's happening in the world right now all around us, and it, and it always has happened to some extent, to some degree. And so we see that there was that first domino that got kicked over that all the others followed suit, and, and worse led to worse, and more dire consequences and self-inflicted consequences led to more dire and self-inflicted consequences until we come to a place in life, it's like, what happened? Why is the world in the shape and the condition that it's in? Well, if you rewind the tape and start standing the dominoes back up, you'll come back to that first domino. And the first domino was we lost sight of who God is and who we are in relationship to Him. We, we refused to worship Him. We, we refused, although we knew Him, and although it's obvious that there's a Creator, we chose instead to uh, develop a conspiracy that we created ourselves and there's no one greater than us to answer to, and therefore, we can live our lives however we choose to live them. So, notice one of these, and I think it's one of the more significant ones. 
is that we became futile, verse 21, in our thoughts. If something is futile, that means no matter how many times you try it, it's not going to produce the result that you're looking for. So if your car's broken down and you believe it's the water pump and you put a new water pump on it and it still won't run and you go get another water pump and put a, another water pump on it and it still won't run, obviously the water pump is not what is broken here. Something else is, is the problem. So we could say then that replacing the water pump is futile. In other words, you, you can do it as many times as you want to, but it's not ever going to produce the result that you're looking for, and that's for your car to crank and get you to work or school or to the mall or whatever else, okay? So a futile thought. We became futile in our thinking. We became futile in our thinking. And, and we might add, at the same time we became futile in our thinking, we, we, became, in our thinking, we became very prideful in our thinking. In other words, we, we think we know it all, but are actually illiterate, as the message translation says, when it comes to life apart from God. So... The phrase, or, or the two words that the Holy Spirit dropped in my heart as it relates to this are the words unanchored thoughts. Unanchored thoughts. To deny God is to, is to deny the only source for the wisdom and answers we need. Denying God means making life up as we go along and leaves us vulnerable to the deceiving lies of the devil. It uh, fascinates me uh, to see what we're able to do and accomplish in outer space and, and uh, to put astronauts uh, up there in spaceships and space stations. But I think the one thing that, that to me is, is most interesting is when our astronauts perform a space walk. Anybody ever seen that on video or TV or whatever? A space walk. And there's one thing about a space walk that you will always see, and that's a tether. In other words, there will always be a line that will anchor the astronaut to the spaceship or to the space station or, or whatever it is in zero gravity. That's because if an astronaut ever becomes disconnected from, let's say, the space station, they're lost. And I, I think there was a movie years ago about that called Gravity. Um, because when you're in space, let's say you become disconnected and you're drifting you're not ever going to come to a tree to push off of and push yourself back towards the space station, right? You, you just free float. You're just out there on your own. And that's, I think, the imagery that the Holy Spirit kind of, you know, revealed in my mind with this idea of unanchored thoughts. We, we were never, we have the ability to think for ourselves and to make our own choices and make up our own minds, but we were never meant to, to do that and perform that without God. And when you see uh, in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned, and we know that God comes on the scene, and he asks some questions. First one he asks is, Adam, where are you? Okay, It wasn't that God didn't know where he was. He was asking that question for Adam's benefit, but also for ours. Now, watch this, okay? <laughs> Adam's supposed to be here, and Adam's down here, right? Adam, where are you? Why are you not in the position that I created you to exist in and to enjoy and experience in life. And, the, uh, and then Adam said that he was hiding himself because he was naked, if you remember that. Okay? And, and don't just think without clothing, think without covering. Think that, that he was exposed and how vulnerable he was because now he has what become, he's become detached from the mothership. He, he is now free-floating, 
And, and, and we were never meant to free float. We were meant to be anchored. This is why as children and, and even uh, we can get, uh, let's just say, uh, more than children, right, and, and have all types of security blankets, e- either real or, or uh, literally a blanket, literal or, or not literal, uh, things that, you know, physical, natural things that give us a sense of security. Uh, for instance, a lot of people try to find a sense of security in having a lot of money. Money makes them feel safe, makes them feel secure. But, but listen, if, 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 uh, and, and this is where the tie-in from trust, right? And, you know, we're looking for something we can trust in bigger than us that'll help us, that'll protect us, so forth and so on. And so exposed, he was naked, he was exposed, he was vulnerable. He did not feel secure. He didn't feel secure in God's presence. He didn't feel secure in his wife's presence. And so he's hiding himself from God and from his wife, and God from Eve. And so God asked the question, right? He says, who told you you were naked? Now watch this, because this to me is one of the most important milestones in all of human history for us to understand, because this milestone is when, for the first time, and it's happened a lot of times since, but for the first time in human history, a human being has reached a conclusion about themselves that did not originate from the mind of God. Now Adam is seeing himself not in light of who God says he is, not in light of who God created him to be, but now he is seeing himself based upon information, experienced information that did not come from God as a source. Okay, are you seeing this? We were never meant to live our lives based upon information that did not originate from God as a source. If you want to live the life God created you to live, unload all the information that didn't come from Him, and this is called discipleship, right? And renew your mind, recondition your mind to think according to truth and information that comes from God. So unanchored in their thoughts. What, see, a better, better thinking leads to a better life. Better thinking leads to a better life. And, and I really felt like uh, a few years ago the Holy Spirit spoke that to me and I wrote it down and then as I always do, you know, did I just uh, imagine that? Was that really your voice, Lord? And, and all kinds of arguments, you know, I'm thinking, no, no, knowing God leads to a better life. Knowing Jesus leads to a better life. And it's like the Holy Spirit said, not if you don't believe or think that he is real, not if you don't think that he loves you, not if you don't think he has something better for you. So in, in the rawest, simplest form, better thinking leads to a better life. And, and this is why Jesus preached repentance. Repentance doesn't mean stop sinning. It means stop thinking the way you've always thought about things. Metanous is the word repent. It, it means a new condition of mind, a new way of thinking. So better thinking, better thinking is, is, leads to better living. So we have to, though, find a better source for our thoughts. Because if you're not careful, you'll come up with a better idea that's still not God's idea. You'll come up with uh, something different, right, Um, from the way you've thought in the past, but it's still not the way God thinks about that particular situation in your life. And, And even if it's on the spectrum of a God thought, amen, uh, you could still be aiming way too low. Are you still with me this morning? Okay. So let's look at this um, in the message translation. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through a, a lot of these verses. We've got time to do it. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 20 from the Message Translation. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of His divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. Don't you, don't you just love the message translation? What happened was, he's just telling you straight up. I mean, this is what the New King James says. This is more about how we talk and understand things. He's telling us what happened. Right? Somebody said it. What happened was. What happened was. He's telling us what happened was, right? What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well. But when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. That's what we mean by self-inflicted consequences. It's not that, it's not, oh, you're not going to worship me? Well, I'll make life so hard on you. You be me. No, it's, it's, it's like you shut off the, the, the source of the answers that you need to live the life that you were created to live. Amen. Let's keep going here. Verse 21. Um, uh, I'm sorry, verse 22. They pretended to know it all but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in His hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. Notice the dominoes are falling. Verse 25, And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshipped the God they made instead of the God who made them, the God we bless, the God who blesses us. Oh, yes. Worse followed. Refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women. Men didn't know how to be men. See, we're, we're seeing this in our world today. Are we not seeing this? We are seeing this in our world today. Sexually confused, they abused and defiled one another, women with women, men with men, all lust, no love, and then they paid for it. How they paid for it? Emptied of God and love, godless and loveless wretches. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose, rampant evil, grabbing and grasping. Notice now we've gone from bad to worse, right? Or from worse to worse or still. Grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering and cheating. Look at them, mean-spirited, venomous. Let me just stop right here. Wanton killing. We, we are seeing this in our, in our, in our, in our community in our community, excuse me, I started to say in our world today. Two blocks from this church last week, a drive-by shooting right over here on Lakeland. 17-year-old teenager. Four, one adult and three teenagers rolled up on him. Some friends of ours' children were out in the front yard playing and witnessed Wanton killing. Just. You know it's okay to get angry, right? The Bible says to be angry and sin not. Okay. There are certain things that are going on in our world today that should stir us up. 
It should not be acceptable. Mean-spirited. You ought to hear some of the stories. Bethany came home from school the other day literally in tears over how one of her students were treated by some of, I'll just say here's a her, peers. The cruelty. See, I, listen, I know some of you are like, well, I mean, kids be kids. People going to No, see, you, you, you have no idea the levels it's being taken to now that there's social media involved. When we were in school, you could pull a stunt and everybody laugh about it, even, even, you know, even if it was inappropriate. Today, you pull a stunt and people halfway around the world can see it three minutes later. Fork-tongued God-bashers, bullies, swaggerers, insufferable windbags. They keep inventing new ways of wrecking lives. They ditch their parents when they get in the way. Stupid, slimy, cruel, cold-blooded. And it's not as if they don't know better. They know perfectly well they're spitting in God's face and they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who do the worst things best. I know it means a lot more than this, but when it says they keep inventing new ways of ruining or wrecking lives. Parents, if, if, if you don't know this, um, there are um, items sold in convenience stores that are packaged to look like a five-hour energy bottle that are actually... Uh, solutions, uh, potions, whatever we want to call, fabricated in a lab to produce the same effect as a narcotic on uh, a, a person. And you can buy it over the counter in a convenience store. We are actually having men and women come to the foundry not because they're addicted to uh, opiates or crystal meth, but because they're addicted to what I call gas station dope. Literally, it is that addictive. And so um, the foundry has led the way, um, and the Association of uh, Christian Rescue uh, Ministries, Recovery Ministries, I'm sorry, in the state of Alabama, and our legislation, legislators have responded to, to uh, ban these substances and, and remove them from the shelves. But here's what happens. Every time you ban one, <clears throat> they change the formula, repackage it, and send it right back. Keep inventing new ways of wrecking and ruining people's lives. So I've pointed it out already. You see how these verses are coming to pass once again in our community around us. What's at the root of all this? What is the cause behind these effects? It can all be traced back to refusing to treat God like He deserves to be treated, refusing to worship Him. These are self-inflicted consequences, right? Now, go with me. we got a few more minutes. Can you go with me to John, the fourth chapter now? John chapter 4. Amen. 
Amen or oh me, right? Thank you, Jesus. John chapter 4 and verse number 19. If you're familiar with this, uh, familiar with this chapter, this is where Jesus was uh, led by the Holy Spirit to go into Samaria and sit down beside a well and wait for a specific woman to arrive. The Bible says it this way when he told his disciples why they were taking a detour is that he must needs go to Samaria. In other words, he was compelled to do it. This wasn't uh, uh, you know, just a whim. This wasn't, um, you know, Jesus you know, had some really good tacos at a little place in Samaria, and so he was going to swing through there and grab him some. This, this was like a God-ordained, Spirit-led assignment for Jesus. And, of course, we know that women would all go to the well early in the morning. This was later in the day. And we see the woman who came later in the day, implications are because of her reputation that she maybe avoided the, um, the whispers and the backbiting that would have come from the other women in her community because of, of her reputation. She had been married multiple times and, and was living with someone at the time that she was not married to. And Jesus asks her for some water. And we see, among other things, that, um, that this uh, lady had some uh, sass to her, right? And, um, you know, sometimes hurt will do that to you, right? And she's like, uh, who do you think you are, a Jewish man, asking me, a Samaritan woman, for water? And this well is deep, and you don't have a rope or a bucket. You know, I mean, she's just kind of giving it right back at him. Which I'm sure Jesus wasn't, I mean, he had dealt with some of the, you know, devil-influenced religious leaders. This lady was no, you know, amen, praise God. Um, And, of course, one of my favorite verses in the whole New Testament is when he asked her, he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for water, you would ask me for water, and I would give you a drink that would cause you to never thirst again. You see, Jesus knew that, all that was going on in this woman's life. It's sinful behavior. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it, nor was Jesus. But he saw beyond how she was behaving to the why she was behaving that way. She was trying to find some contentment and satisfaction in life uh, in men, in relationships with men. Um, And no man could ever do for her and satisfy her uh, the, the, the way only God can satisfy her. But notice, you see the tie-in. You know, th- there's a worship connection to this if you're not familiar with the story. And so let's pick it up in verse number 19. Um, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Now, Jesus came to make all things new. Jesus came to uh, rewrite the script, if you will. And how things had been done before Jesus would not continue in the same way after Jesus. 
This is why you'll see in a moment, he'll say, the, he'll say, he'll use this expression, the hour is coming and now is. Jesus was the bridge between these two covenants. And among all that that means, Jesus was bridging, uh, you know, this Old Testament method of traditional method of worshiping God over into the New Testament method of an approach to worshiping God. Now, what this woman, though, is talking about here are the outward traditions. In their day, worshiping God meant going to a certain place at a certain time with a certain thing in your hand, dressed a certain way, um, and, and, and doing whatever it is that that particularly prescribed moment of worship called for. It was, it was all about an outward conformity. It was all about an outward practice. It was all about you know, going to a certain place and doing a certain thing at a certain time for a certain reason. And the Samaritans were, if you understand what a Samaritan was, a Samaritan was half Gentile, half Jew. And then, of course, you had full-blooded Jews and you had full-blooded Gentiles. And the Samaritans, their, their duplicity, if you will, let's say it that way, you know, manifested itself in a lot of ways. And so the Samaritans had this hodgepodge approach to worship. In other words, they, they would still worship Jehovah, but they were influenced by the heathen practices of the Gentiles. And, and so there was, you know, this constant dispute about who was right and how do you really worship God. Now, notice, though, that there is at least an interest on her part as to who's right. And you'll see that as the conversation unfolds. But this is the whole idea of, you know, my people say we worship God this way, meaning the place you go and what you do when you go there and why you do it. Your people say this is where you go and this is what you do and this is why you do it while you're there, so to speak. And Jesus says, believe me, woman, believe me. Now, Jesus doesn't, you know, like waste words. So when he says, believe me, this, this is kind of like when he says, most assuredly. He, when he, in other words, he, he's like, I'm, I'm fixing to reveal something here that um, is very, very important. He says, believe me, right? I'm, I'm fixing to tell you something that's going to seem unbelievable to you, but believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. So neither place will be right. Wait a second now. You know, we, we, uh, we adopted some of the Jewish practices, and, but now you're saying that, that, I'm sure this was what was going on in our mind. Now listen, Jesus keeps going here, verse 22. He says, you worship what you do not know. Do you realize how many of God's people today worship what they do not know? <laughs> I mean, just... You know, going through the motions, you know, blending in with whatever everybody else is doing in the church that you happen to be in, and, and all these other things. Oh, praise God. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. He's talking about the difference between the Samaritans and the Jews. He says, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. 
But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Let me add to this, and I, I know we're getting a little pressed for time, so let me just make mention of this. Maybe we'll develop it later. Okay, But a huge part of Jesus' assignment here on this earth involves... What's the right word? I mean, in other words, salvation is about you and I being placed in the position to become true worshipers. It's what Jesus came to do for us, in us, with us, and through us is what is involved in becoming a true worshiper. Okay, let me stay focused here, right? God is spirit. And those who worship Him must, if, if, if the Word of God says must, that means there is no other way to do it. In other words, let me say it another way. A true worshiper will either worship God in spirit and in truth, or he or she will not be a true worshiper. This is a requirement. I feel like I'm losing some of you. Are you good? Praise God. 1145. Your stomach's getting, starting to growl. Amen. Can we stay just a few more minutes? Are you good? Can we dig in here just a little bit? Yes. Everything up until now has been my introduction, all right? So we're just kind of getting started, all right? But amen, I understand. This is important. Let me tell you, there's a lot of resistance around this. Satan doesn't want you to understand this, and even more so, he doesn't want you to ever become a true worshiper, right? And so what chance do we ever have of becoming a true worshiper if we don't even know what one is or what one looks like or what it means, all right? Okay? So... He's saying God is a spirit and those who worship him must. If you underline, highlight, draw light and bolts around things in your Bible, that word must is critical here. You must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, notice now, spirit is, is among other things speaking of something that comes, that's inside of us. As a matter of fact, remember, you are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. The, the old methods of worshiping God you could say they had a spiritual element to them, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be an exaggeration. Obviously, they did. But this is not what Jesus is not talking about something that is done in the flesh with spiritual overtones. He's talking about something that comes from inside of a person. To worship God in spirit and in truth is talking about something that's coming from within you. It's talking about an inward reality now that's being expressed from within a person. This is why it doesn't have to be on a certain mountain or in a certain building. Because if, if true worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth, that means wherever you are, because you are a spirit, you can worship God. God is a spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. Wait a second. What? I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So if it wasn't for his favorite, would it be a food chariot instead of a food truck? If it wasn't for his favorite tacos in Samaria, why did Jesus go to this woman? Of all the women. Listen, she wasn't the only woman in Samaria who was struggling in uh, in her life. Why did Jesus go to her? Remember now, his instructions were go to the Jews first. So 
Jesus is actually doing something out of character, led by the Spirit, right? Off script, but it's a own script. I'm not trying to confuse you with all this. Why did he do this? He did this because she was expecting him. Do you see this? She's expecting him. She's a Samaritan woman. Her life's in shambles. Her efforts to worship God are some, uh, you know, uh, soup, some, some uh, what's the word I'm looking for, right? Melting pot of different approaches to worshiping God based upon Gentile heathen practices and, and Jewish traditions and, and all this other stuff. But somewhere, and I don't know where, but somewhere along the line, she heard about the promised Messiah coming to the earth. And her confusion about these things, which troubled her, obviously. Because notice now, she's still got that little edge to her. Well, let me translate. Can I? This is how I imagine this conversation going. She's like, well, I don't know about all that, but let me tell you what I know. I know that there's coming a Messiah one day who's going to sort all this out for us. There's coming a Messiah one day who's going to set all this straight so that we will know once and for all how to worship God. Jesus said, ma'am, you're looking at him. You're looking at him. Okay? So, what were the answers Jesus gave us about a true worshiper? A true worshiper must worship in spirit and in truth. Let me give you verse 23 from the message translation. Jesus speaking, but the time is coming. It has in fact come. When what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before Him in their worship. Here is um, verse... The Passion Translation is more of a paraphrase, so it says verse 23 and 24, but it says, From here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. That nailed it right there, didn't it? For God is a spirit and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. Amen. 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 Now, let me kind of give you a little direction on where we're going to be next week and then we'll pray, okay? You get anything out of this this morning? Remember, again, let me put this up here and we'll springboard off of this for the conclusion. Worship is your proper response to God based upon who He is and who you are in respect to Him. Okay? Now, we have come to this definition based upon different verses in the Bible our exhaustive study of the difference between Philo for the Lord and Agape for Him, 
but then also as to what the word worship actually means. And remember, it means to kiss, which is, is obviously you know, easily you know, thought of as an expression of affection, but it had much more to the understanding because where a man or a woman um, you know, would greet someone with a kiss was, was communicating that they knew who the person was that they were greeting and also who they were in respect to that person. So worship then is your proper response to God based upon, it's, it, has, it has nothing, it's not about your feelings, okay? And, and when he said it's, it's not done in a certain place, remember, most of what people think about worship is something done in a building with a steeple on it. That, we can worship God here, but you know, how much time we're in this building versus how much time we're everywhere else in our lives but a true worshiper doesn't just worship God on a Sunday morning. Amen. All right. So true worship then includes two key factors. Spirit and truth, okay. Two key factors. Knowing who God is, because how can you ever know who you are in respect to who He is if you don't know who He is? Right? Okay. But the two key factors are, number one, knowing who God is, and then number two, knowing who you are in respect to Him. Knowing who God is and not knowing who you are in respect to Him will prevent you from ever becoming a true worshiper. Are you seeing this? Stand with me this morning. Now, this is not a trick question, especially for those of you who um, are able to be with us on Wednesday evenings. But somebody tell me, You're, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bend the language here just a moment, okay? Where can we find your truthly self? Where can we find the truth about who you are in relationship and respect to who God is? Are you following me? Where can we find that in our, in our being? Is it in our flesh? Is it in our soul? Spirit. See, the true... The truth you, the real you, is the spirit inside of you. So to know who you are, are you seeing the connection here? To know who you are in respect to who he is. Not who you are in respect to the life you lived up until the point that you came to him. See, if, if, if you keep trying to respond to God based upon the, the man or woman you were before you became a new creation in Christ Jesus, you'll never be a true worshiper. You come crawling in on your belly talking about a sinner saved by grace and blah, 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 and how unrighteous, and now this and this and all. See, again, that's, not, that's who you were, that's not who you are. We talk about worshiping God in spirit and in truth not just talking about, you know, some energy and enthusiasm to the songs we sing to him. We're talking about spirit. We're talking about the, the substance of your very being and knowing who you are in relationship to who he is. Amen? All right, Father, we come before you this morning to say that we love you and to acknowledge, Father, most importantly, your love for us. We love you because you loved us first. We desire you because you desired us first. We know you because you knew us first. 
We're seeking after you this morning because you sought us first. We chose to surrender our lives to you because you chose us first. You have led the way in everything that has anything to do with our existence, with our original creation, with our recreation in Christ Jesus, and all that that now means moving forward. Father, forgive us for our futile thoughts. Father, help us. Reconnect with you as a true worshiper. And in so doing, Father, reconnect with the answers and the wisdom that we need to live the life you created us to live. Father, Jesus said you're looking for true worshipers. My simple prayer is that you find them right here. Men and women, young people, Father, who know what a true worshiper is and who are willing to commit themselves to the lifestyle. Father, I thank you that you found us in our self-inflicted consequences and you loved us. And you provided a way of escape for us. You provided healing and restoration for us. You provided deliverance and freedom for us. You provided forgiveness and, and not just washing over, but removing sin from us, Lord. All, all the things that you've done. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You paid a very high price. To give us the opportunity that's before us now, Lord, help us. Help us help you make the most of it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. For those of you who joined us online, have a great rest of your afternoon. I'll see some of you on Wednesday, maybe some of you before. Good things coming.